you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us uh, a clear mandate on what to preach, right? So sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us to speak on faith and you speak on faith. But then sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us to speak by faith. You know, it's one of those Sundays. Uh, but I, I truly believe that this whole year has been so fantastic, right? Um, so full of God's faithfulness, meaning it's been so crazy, absolutely adventurous, right? And God has been so good, so good, so good. And and the and the matter of the fact is, God was always good, <laughs> but it's just that as our eyes unveil, we see more of His goodness, right? God is always good and he's always been good and he'll always be good. But we need to grow more in the knowledge of his goodness. We need to grow more in the knowledge of his goodness. As we're worshiping today, one verse that just, you know, just was hitting me so strongly was Second Peter 1 verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So it is in the knowledge of God, it is in knowing God, knowing Jesus our Lord, that grace and peace is multiplied. Grace and peace is multiplied. God is always good. He, you know, his nature doesn't change because he is good. He is always love because that's who he is, you know, and he can only give what he is. Right? His nature doesn't change. But when our knowledge of who he is deepens, increases, we begin to experience more of his grace. Amen. Uh, the whole of Christian walk is just knowing God. It's just knowing God. And I don't know if that will ever end. You know, we say knowing God is eternal life and it has begun the day you accepted Jesus. And I don't know if thousand years are enough to know fully who God is or maybe 10,000 years. You know, I think it'll take eons after eons just to know his goodness. So what I'm trying to say is... <sighs> You have to be aggressive in knowing God because there's so much more to know him. No matter where you are in this walk, no matter how much you know that God is good, there's always more. There's always more, right? And the more we know him, the more it changes our experiences. The knowledge of God changes our experiences of our reality, changes our reality. And also it changes the perspective of how we see ourselves. The knowledge of God is like the mirror, is like a good reference point for us to understand who we are. We know God so that we can, I'm not saying so that we can know ourselves, but we know God and one of the fruit is that we also begin to know ourselves. It is a knowing God that we find ourselves, you know. This whole, you know, the world's philosophy is, you know, you do this, you do that and, you know, uh, you, you, you. You introspect deep within. I'm all for therapy. I understand. But I can 
tell you this with assurance. What faith can do in an instant, therapy will take you 50 years to do it. You know, all of that introspection. And here's the thing, you know, the more you dive deep within, without Jesus, you're only going to find darkness. Right? And you're only going to be depressed. It is in Christ that we see the light of the gospel. That's why even when you introspect your life, you cannot do it without Jesus. It's like, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night and I need to drink water and I have to go to another room. And if I don't switch on the light, I usually hit my toe on, a, on my bed or, you know, on the wall and it's painful. It is painful. It is absolutely painful. And that's how introspection is without Jesus. Without seeing ourselves in Jesus. Because Jesus is the light. Without Jesus, if you look deep within, you'll find all sorts of things that you don't want to find. <laughs> you know, That's why this whole thing about meditation. I love meditation. I meditate more than anybody. Just saying, you know. So that I, I can tell you that I love meditation. But meditating on the right things. Meditating on the goodness of God. Meditating with the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, you, you're going to find a lot of things that you don't want to find. And you'll always be disappointed. I, I love what once Pastor Thomas George, he said, the greatest way, uh, the easiest way, the easiest way to get depressed is look within. That's the easiest way. You look within, without the Holy Spirit, you'll get depressed. But that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the gospel. That's why we have Jesus, right? Okay, so come with me, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just laying some basic foundations, okay? Um, because I believe next week, the tide is turning. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy. Say with me, but God. You know, I, I love these two words. No matter what your situations are, if those two words come in between, your entire life changes. But God, I was sick, I was this, you know, I my life was pathetic, I was struggling through this, anxiety, depression, mental oppression, but God. But God can change everything, right? It, it it's like it's like the U-turn of our lives. But God being rich in mercy. Look at that. He's he's a being of rich in mercy. He's a being of mercy, he's rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. So he is rich in mercy and his motivation is great love. You know, Paul could have just said love and that would have been enough. But he's emphasizing great love, right? His motivation is great love with which he loved us. Say with me that God loved me. Right? He saw my ugly, he saw my frailty, he saw my sick, sin, sickness, everything, and he still chose to love me. Love me. You know, one, one of the things that I that we, we usually 
find as a corporate uh, gathering is we have to acknowledge that the presence of the Lord here is here in, in, the, in our corporate gatherings. But at the same time, you have to personalize the gospel for yourself. You have to personalize the gospel for yourself. What, what I mean by that is, look at the gospel of John. How does he address himself? Every time he talks about himself, he talks about the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The one whom Jesus loved. Now, did Jesus love only John? He loved everybody. But then why is John emphasizing that again and again? Because that's what he chooses to see, that Jesus loves me more. He has personalized his love for himself. It's like, the best example that I can give is, you know, sun rays are everywhere, right? When the sun is up, sun's rays are all across. But when you take a magnifying glass, you can completely concentrate those rays into one point. When you personalize God's love for you, even though God's love is there for everybody, you can get a concentrated experience of his love. So personalize it for yourself, okay? But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, with which he loved me, he loved me. He loved me in, in spite of my brokenness, in spite of my ability to love him back, in spite of my ability to even say that you are Lord, right? He loved me. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, if you read Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses, it talks about your past before you met Jesus. Your past before those two words happened, but God. What was your past before those two words happened, but God? You were dead in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in a dead environment being ruled by the power of death. You were dead within, you were in a dead environment, and you were ruled by the power of death. Right? But here, Paul says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, what did he do? He made us alive. He made us alive. If you haven't seen the power of resurrection through your eyes, look at each other. You were made alive. You're a miracle. You're really a miracle. You're a miracle of his resurrection power. You're made alive. We were dead in our sins. Right? We were dead spiritually. But he made you spiritually alive. See, to a dead person, it's unfair to expect anything from them. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely unfair to expect a dead person to sing a song, especially to sing in scale. You just can't expect them to function. Right? Why? Why? Because they are dead. Because they are dead. Dead people don't talk. It's something that we usually say in our games. Dead people don't talk. Dead people can't function. Dead people can't worship. Dead people can't choose Jesus.
I'm making sense. We could not have chosen Jesus. We, we didn't ha even have the ability to choose him. Right? We were not even in that state to choose him. That's why John 15, 16, Jesus very strongly, he tells his disciples, you did not choose me. Understand this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. One of the struggles in our Christian walk is we get into this assumption that we choose God always and because of which we get burnt out. Not able to read the Bible. Not able to pray. I'm not able to wake up on time. I'm not able to do this because there's this assumption that is upon us that we chose him and because of which all the responsibility is on us alone. That's not true. He chose you. He chose you. And because he chose you, he has given everything that is required, which are the coming verses. He has given you everything that is required for you to live a life of godliness. So, just the fact that you could walk through that door is because God empowered you. That's grace empowering you. Just the fact that you could wake up in the morning and you could be like, I don't have the strength to pray, but thank you, Jesus. This is all I can do right now. Even that is the empowerment of grace over your life. Yeah. So what did Jesus, what did God do through Jesus? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. So he made you alive. You were dead. He made you alive. Right now you're alive. By grace, you have been saved. But that's not where the story ends. Verse 6. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you've been made alive, but not just made alive and just left there. You know, you figure out what you want to do. But he raised you up. Why, why was it required for you to be raised up? Have you thought about it? So, you know, when, when a person dies, what do you do? You bury him, right? You, you buy a good coffin, good looking coffin, you put him there and you bury the coffin. So just imagine with me. Imagine yourselves as dead bodies buried in a coffin six feet under. Now, if you just come alive, what is going to happen? No, 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 no. You're not imagining right. Six feet under is the coffin. Inside the coffin is you. And you have just opened your eyes and you've become alive. You'll freak out. Why? Because there's darkness. Again, you need to get out of that coffin. You need to somehow get out of that earth that you're buried under. You could not have done it by yourself. Just imagine with me how much power it would take for you to get out of that coffin, break that coffin, break through that earth that you're buried under and to just be on the ground. How much power would that take? A lot of power. I've only, I've only seen Superman do it. Right? Have, have you seen Superman? You know, he, he rises up from the grave, 
breaks through. Just imagine the kind of power it takes. Now, when Jesus came alive, the entire demonic realm and hell was holding him back. You know why? Because they didn't want you to be raised up. See, it was not just enough for you to be made alive. It was not enough. He raised you up. Raised you up. He raised you up. That's power of resurrection working right there. Right? Raised you up to what level? He didn't, he didn't just bring you to the ground level. Okay, somehow I got you out of the coffin. Now figure this out. Oh, somehow, okay, let me just take you through this earth that you've been buried deep within. Now you're on the ground, you're on the earth now. Now figure this out. No, he raised you up till where? Till the heavenly places. He raised you up till the heavenly places, meaning till the time I actually opened my eyes the moment I open my eyes spiritually, I'm in heaven with God and Christ. I'm in heaven. I did not know what happened. I did not know that I was six feet under. Probably it was more. I'm just giving an illustration. Six feet under. So much of power it took for me to be made alive and raised up. And now we are seated with Christ at the right hand of God. You know, this, this verse that says that we are seated with God at the right hand of God in the heavenly places means in heavens there are many levels. Okay, there are many levels of heavens. You are seated at the highest level. You're seated at the highest level with Christ right now. Not when he comes. This is a reality for right now. So when Jesus died, all of us, we died with him. Why? So that when he would be raised up, all of us would be raised with him. We were raised with Jesus. We are seated at the right hand of God with Christ. Can you imagine this? I'm trying to bring this picture out where if you were just made alive without being raised up, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have really sufficed what God wanted to do. He raised you up and he has given you a seat of honor, seat of favor. You're seated. Now, now where you're seated, okay? The description of where you're seated, you'll have to see from verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Ephesians 1, verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now he's describing the heavenly places. The seat that you have. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the one to come. The description of the seat where you are seated is. You are far above every power, every rule, every authority, every name. Can you imagine? So we're not living on the earth looking up to heaven. We're, we're seated on heaven and we are operating on the earth. 
from heaven. Does that make sense? You've been given a seat of power and authority with Jesus. The same power and authority that Jesus has you and me have. Same power. Because Ephesians 1 verse 22 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. You are seated above everything. Do you know that everything that is coming against you is not above you, is beneath you. Your Goliath that you're fighting is beneath you. The mountain that you're facing is beneath you. You're seated far above every power, every rule, every authority, every name that is to be named. This is what we call favor. Ephesians 2 verse 8, by grace you have been saved. By favor you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. So where are you seated today? You're seated far above in the heavenly places right now. Not when you die. Not when Jesus comes. Right now, spiritually, you have a position far above. See, it's just like, you know, our prime minister has, has a seat. It's not a physical seat. He does not have to sit always on that seat to operate in his authority. It's a seat. It's a, it's a seat of authority. So even when he goes to the US, he still has that seat on him. So even when you are on the earth, you still have that spiritual power and authority. It's a seat of power and authority that has been given to you. That is grace. We do not do anything to earn this. You were, you started your Christian walk there on the throne. We're not somehow climbing our way to the throne. That's how it began. Your Christian walk began on the throne. Amen. Can you believe this? That every battle that you're facing in your mind is beneath you. Is beneath you. That's why it's so important to grow in the knowledge of God. See, because, you know, one day when I was meditating on Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit said, Sam, you do know that you can't get more closer to me than I am to you. You do know that God cannot become more closer to you than he already is. He's inside of you. He's with you. He is, you know, you are in him. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. You are with Christ. How much more closer can Christ be? So when we say get closer to him, what we are saying is get closer to him in your knowledge, in your awareness. So that when we get closer to our to God in our knowledge and in our awareness, what we are doing is we are translating every experience into that reality. That's why it's so important to know God. So important to know God. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, you know, in, in the past, God revealed himself through his prophets. But now, he has chosen to reveal himself through his son. 
through his son. The highest revelation of God that you can get is through his son. And when you get to know God, you know who you are. Because knowing God, knowing Christ is our identity. It's like, it's like a reflection. If that's who Christ is, then that's who I am. Right? If I can't believe that Christ would walk into my office doors, into my office cabin and would behave a certain way, then I should not believe that for myself either. If I can't believe that Christ, you know, when he is in my house, he is going to, he's going to get ticked off very quickly. What's the word? Snappy. If he's going to be snappy always at every little thing, then I should not believe that for myself. Because that's not my identity. You are saved from sin once and for all. You are saved from the nature of Adam once and for all. Okay? You no longer have Adam's bloodline. You're being washed by the blood of Jesus. You are in the identity of Jesus. Okay? Can I tell you one of our practical struggles? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. Read to me. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. What does it say? Okay, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Say, say with me, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is a struggle because how we relate with each other and how we relate with ourselves is in the flesh. We see the body, the bones and the flesh and the, the personality and, you know, all the 16 personality tests and we do all of that. What, what are we doing? We are basically recognizing ourselves according to the flesh. Listen to the next line. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What is Paul trying to say? He's saying, you know Christ in the flesh. But that revelation of Christ is nothing compared to to the revelation that you have right now, that he's seated far above every power, every rule, every authority. That revelation of Christ being on the throne is much greater. See, think about this. For 2,000 years, Christ is ruling. He's seated at the right hand of God, right? For 2,000 years, at least in our time frame, Christ is ruling. But somehow, the only thing that we can see is the three and a half years of ministry that Jesus did. And Paul is saying that three and a half years was an important time, yes. And that's how we related with him, yes. But there's so much more. He has died. He came in the likeness of Adam. And that Adam has died so that we could be raised up in the identity of Christ. Don't relate to Adam, relate to Christ. Just like don't relate to yourself as a sinner. You're not a sinner, you're a saint. Do you struggle with sin? Of course, yes. 
the areas that we struggle with sin, but you're not a sinner. You're a saint. How come? How come I'm a saint? Because you have been made alive and raised up in the identity of Jesus. That whole Adamic traces of Adamic bloodline has been dead. You've been crucified. That, that is what our faith is. So now completely your right, you know, your identity is that of God. And he says, you are the righteousness of God. Amen. Verse 7. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace towards us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That God raised you up. He made you alive. And he has seated you on the throne of favor, on the throne of power and authority. And the reason why he's doing that is so that he can show more. More of his favor. More of his kindness. That's why when when Paul prays to God, God says, hey, you know what? My grace is sufficient. You cannot quench my grace over your life. It's more than enough. You understand more than enough? Like, I've, I fill my petrol tank fully, but I'm only traveling two kilometers. It's more than enough. It's more than enough. I cannot, I cannot you know, ever be in lack. The favor of God that is upon your life is more than enough. You are seated on that throne so that God can show more of his grace. Your life, your life in itself is the canvas of God where he reveals his nature, his character, his favor. That's why the same chapter verse 10 says, you are created for good works that God created beforehand. Who created beforehand? God. So your life is a canvas. Of God's certificate. You are the canvas of God's work. You are the canvas of his faithfulness. You are the canvas of his goodness. So what makes you think? What makes you think? That what you're struggling right now. Is much more. Than what you can actually bear. There's so much more. There's so much more. Just want to release this word over your life. Prophetically. For those who have been tested in the lack will also be tested in the abundance. Okay? If you've been faithful in your lack, may you be faithful in the abundance. Okay? So, the first blessing that God did was He raised you up. He made you alive, raised you up, and He has seated you with Christ. The first blessing is that you are set apart. Say with me, I am set apart. I'm set apart. I'm set apart. Today, you know, when we were doing Deuteronomy 28, you know, the first two declarations that we did, the Lord God will set you high above all nations of the earth. Right? What is the first thing? The Lord God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And that's why in the old covenant, the Israelites were always set high above all the nations of the earth. 
in spite of their neighboring countries being rich in technology and power and strength, it didn't matter why. The covenant that God had with them was, I will set you high above all nations of the earth and these blessings shall come and overtake you. It will not trickle in your life. It will come and overtake you. In Jesus, we're not just set high above all nations. In Jesus, we are set high above all cosmos. The new covenant reality is, is always better than the old covenant. So what we see in Deuteronomy 20 is just a glimpse of what we have in Jesus. God says, I'll set you high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Now you are seated far above every power, every rule and every authority. You are seated far above every power of the cosmos. The blessings of the Lord will come and overtake you. Come with me to Deuteronomy 28. Why does the Lord do this? Okay. Why does the Lord do this? Deuteronomy 28 verse 9. Deuteronomy 28 verse 9. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself. What's the meaning of holy? Set apart. Holy does not mean perfection. Perfection is the fruit of holiness. Holiness means set apart. So he says, I will establish you as a people holy to himself. So you have been set apart for himself. You've been raised from the dead. You've been seated with Christ. Why? For him. Self, as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, and all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. The favor of the Lord that is upon your life is, to, is for you to be set apart so that God's name is glorified through you. Are you getting this? You have the name of God. You carry the name of God. You know, this, this Apple has, oh, Apple iPhone has the logo of the Apple company. Why? Just to say that the manufacturer is Apple. Just like that. You carry the name of God. So if anything that happens to you, who's... Who's taking responsibility of it? See, if, if this iPhone malfunctions, right? I can, I can go and ask for a replacement. And the Apple company, they have to replace because otherwise their credibility is on the line. You carry the name of God. That's why he is more invested in you than you are invested in yourself. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You are created for good works. Who, who did it? God did it. You're a people of favor. You're not going to be a people of favor. You're people of favor. 
Because you're seated in favor, you're people of favor. You're being set apart. God has set you apart so that his name will be glorified through you. His name will be glorified through you. Amen? Now, every people group in the world, how are they identified? You know, we have so many people groups, right? We have the Japanese, we have Asians, we have uh, Americans, Europeans, Africans. How are, what's the easiest way to identify a people group? Yes, you know, of course, their appearance, yes, but language. A language distinctly distinguishes between which group you belong to. So, you know, we have this thing among Malayalis, you know, Kerala people. They, whichever part of the world they go to, if they find another Malayali, even if they don't know how to speak in Malayalam, they will try their best to speak in Malayalam just to relate. Hey, we belong to the same group. Language is so important, right? Now, you know, after the flood, all these people came together and they said, let's make a name for ourselves. So what did they do? They built a city and they named it the Tower of Babel, right? And they were building a city so that it will reach heavens and they could make a name for themselves. Correct? Now, I want to show you something. Come with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and same words. Say, one language, same words, right? Now, verse 4. Come. They said to themselves, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Why were they doing this? Because they wanted to be identified. They were making a name for themselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. They did not want to get dispersed. So they came together, they had a community and they're building a name for themselves. Now see, God comes and he says, and the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. See, even God recognizes that when people come together in unity, it's powerful. It's very powerful when people come together in unity, right? So he says, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And then, and nothing, listen to this, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Why? Because they have come together in unity. What is holding them together? One language, same words. So he says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And because the Lord brought in confusion in the language, the entire people, they spread out in the whole world. Language is how we communicate and we use words to communicate, right? Now, before we speak, we think. Some of you don't, but most people do. 
you think before you speak, right? Now your thoughts are, what are your thoughts? They're words. Your thoughts are words. So people who know multiple languages understand this, that, you know, when, when you're speaking a particular language, you're thinking in that language. And when you think in a, in a different language, you think a particular way. So even the philosophy of how you think changes as your language changes. Is that right? So here what God did was he, he, he completely confounded their language. So now their thought pattern has also changed. So now they can't relate with each other. See, if an American and an Indian get married, the first thing that they need to find is a way to communicate. Even if they don't know each other's language, they'll make their own language that they understand. Right? Because it is in communication that we transfer our thoughts to one another. Because what are thoughts? Words. What are language? Made of words. So it's very important when people come together to find a common basis in a particular language. Right? Uh, and that's why I believe before Jesus left, he told his disciples, wait for my sign, wait for a sign, stay in Jerusalem. Right? What did he say? Wait for my sign, stay in Jerusalem. Now, what were they doing? They were fasting and they were praying. Right? They were waiting in Jerusalem. Why? Because God, Jesus asked them to. Now, come with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Do you see that? They were all together in one place. They were all together when they started building the Tower of Babel. Why? Because even God confesses that unity, with unity, nothing is impossible. People, people can come together. It's powerful. Okay. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. See, Jesus asked them to wait in Jerusalem for a sign. And now they have an audible sign. What's the audible sign? The sound. The sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So this divided tongues of fire, they saw it. So there was an audible sign of the mighty rushing wind. And there's a visible sign of divided tongues that seems as if it's a fire. It seems. It doesn't really say it's of fire. It just says divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, when Jesus died, he raised you up, he made you alive, and he has made us seated with Christ at the right hand of God. And he asked his disciples to wait. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, He comes in the form of tongues, tongues of fire. See, it fulfills the prophecy of John the Baptist about Jesus. He says, you know, I baptize you with water. Here He is greater than me who baptizes you with fire and the Holy Spirit. So it symbolizes that prophecy. But look at this. What do they do? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
But what was the evidence that they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what God did in the Tower of Babel, confounded their language, divided them into different people groups. God redeemed all of that by giving them one language and bringing them together. That's why it doesn't matter if, if what, what, you know, what region you're coming from, what demographic you're coming from, what people group you're coming from. It doesn't even matter what gender you have. What matters is the language of God unites the people of God. The language of God unites the people of God. Okay? What is this language? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For we were saved by grace through faith. Grace is the source. Faith is the channel. Say with me. Grace is the source. Faith is the channel. If you think about it, what is grace? What is favor? They are words that God has released over our lives. Okay, let me explain this to you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. And you are blessed with every spiritual blessings. Right? The word spiritual blessings comes from the word eulogia, which means words, good words. So how did God bless you with his favor? By blessing you with good words. You are saved by grace through faith. But how do you translate those good words, those spiritual words into your reality? By speaking the language of God, which is faith. So those good words that you've received, right? What are thoughts? Words. What are basically emotions? If you go deep within and you break it down, they're basically words. Every reality that you see, be it physical or spiritual, is created by the word of God. You have been given good words. God's favor upon your life comes in the form of words that he has spoken over you. And it will come into existence as you learn to speak them. Because we are saved by grace through faith. So favor works by us speaking the language of faith. So irrespective of what the circumstances, how you identified in the spiritual realm is by what you speak. Doesn't matter. You know, the spiritual realm doesn't see, oh, he's going to church, tick. The spiritual realm doesn't see, oh, he's carrying a Bible, tick. He's wearing a white shirt, tick. Doesn't care about all of that. The spiritual realm looks at your words that you speak. I, your maturity, your spiritual maturity is identified by the language that you speak. For me, as a pastor, it's so easy to identify the maturity of a believer is by their language. When, how do I know that you've received this message? Is when your language changes. And your language has changed. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the language. The people of God speak the language of faith. Speak the language of faith. What is faith? Faith is 
a response. Response knowing that God has already released. Faith is a response knowing that God is good. Faith is a response knowing that God is faithful. So language of faith will not go against God's faithfulness. Faith is just a response to his faithfulness. Okay? Now, let's get practical for your life. Now, in your life where you need the favor of God, you have to start speaking faith. How do you speak faith? Any area that you think that you are in lack and you need the favor of God, fun, you have to see the favor of God. You have to see the favor of God, first of all, through the scriptures. You have to hear God's voice. And then you have to see it in your mind. See, First um, Kings chapter 18, when Elijah heard the voice of the Lord and God said, you know, I'm going to bring rain. In spite of hearing that word, he still prayed. But before praying, he says, I'm hearing the abundance of rain. So the word that you hear, you have to start seeing. Using the faculty of your imagination, in your mind, you have to start seeing that word coming alive. Amen. So speak faith. It's as simple as that. Speak faith. But I know, I know it is hard. Because especially when things go against us, contrary to what we think. Right? Our default action is to speak what we see. It is our default reflex action. But God does not speak what he sees. He saw the darkness, but he spoke light. He sees the sickness, but he speaks healing. He, seeks, he sees the chaos, but he speaks peace. So don't speak what you see. Speak what you want to see. But before you see in the physical, you have to see in the spiritual. You have to see through his word. That's why the word is so important. You know, your faith, and that's going to be your next study. Your faith, you, you can only stretch your faith to the point to how much you know. To how much the light is shown in your life. It's like, you know, I can, I can only see as much as my eyes can see. Right? I can't see beyond the wall. Just like that, you can only stretch your faith to a point how much you know who God is. And God has revealed himself through his son. So we need faith. We need faith. We need faith. This, you know, I, I truly believe that we we are living in some of the best times that God has for us, you know, and it's only going to get better uh, because every every breakthrough, like I said in the beginning, every breakthrough happens in the spiritual first. That it it begins with a revelation. It begins by us hearing God's word, you know, and and I truly believe, and and I know that you know we have all learned faith in the past. And we all know faith to a certain degree. But I believe God is taking us through a season where he is going to change our experience so much 
that we live by faith. We truly live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So any, any problem that comes against you, you know, you will not be shaken because you live by faith. You completely live by faith. Any, any circumstance that comes against you, especially lack. So I want to say this, it, not just financial, it could be financial, it could be lack of emotions, lack of feeling love, lack of feeling hope, all of that through faith, right? Amen. Amen. Uh, the spirit of faith speaks. So speak. Keep speaking God's word. Keep speaking God's word over your life. Keep speaking God's word over your life. You know, uh, this this season I've I've been really meditating on Second Peter one verse two. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And every time I would just go go to bed, this is this is one verse that would just keep coming to me. And I would just meditate on it because I know that every every scripture in the Bible has a reality of God. It is waiting for itself to be unlocked. You know, it's you know, Proverbs says it is the glory of God to conceal things and it is the glory of kings to search them out. So all of us have the Bible, but only few of us have actually been kings to search out that reality in our lives. But if you're diligent enough, the hand of the, the hand of the diligent will rule. So if you're diligent enough to search out the reality from that scripture and make it your own, it will come alive. It will come alive. John 17, 17. Set apart, set them apart by your word. Set them apart by your truth and your word is truth. Your word is reality. So this word, these scriptures, they have realities unlocked, locked, right? But you can unlock them with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And how do we do that is through faith. So I've been meditating on this second Peter one was to make grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And uh did it for I think I think more than a month. Just meditated on that verse. And even if I would go to other scripture portion, the Holy Spirit would bring my attention back, right? And when when we were in Karnal, when we were ministering, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, This is the fulfillment of that verse. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's why I'm saying so much with so much confidence that the favor of God that we've been believing for as a church to, to really pursue his purposes so that his kingdom will be established. It, it has already begun, right? But I want to encourage you that don't just read this, read it through, you know, let the reality be unlocked in your life. Let the reality of the scriptures be unlocked in your life. Amen. And you need faith for that. So whatever, how much ever knowledge you have, use it to its full potential. You know, uh, when, when I became a pastor, one of my struggles was, can I, can I preach every Sunday? Will I have enough juice you know, to preach? Uh, but in all these years, God has taught me, you, you speak the best that you can, meaning given the best, just pour out the best, you know, pour out everything that you have, and he fills me again for every week, right? So I just want to encourage you, whatever you have, whatever faith, you know, because we're not fighting just flesh and blood. 
We are fighting enemies who wants to steal your destiny, who wants to destroy you. So be aggressive, be diligent, be as bold as a lion. And whatever is there in the scripture, whatever you see in Jesus is for your life. Amen? Release it over your life by faith. Not by feeling. You don't have to feel it by faith. Feelings will follow. If you feel it, it's amazing. But by faith. Amen? Come on, let's pray.